Welcome to the King's Cast, dynamic teaching recorded live at King's Church in Cambridge, England. We hope you are blessed and challenged by listening to the ministry today. And now, here's the broadcast. How many of us this morning are, are feeling victorious? How many of us? Not one single end? One, two, three, okay. So a few of us are feeling victorious, right? Which is good. How many of us are victorious? All right, a bit more ends now. That's good. And how many of us do not feel victorious and do not see themselves as victors? Anyone? Wow, nobody. So it is interesting um, because the Bible says in Romans that we are more than conquerors. There is a prayer that our pastor made for um, Lorraine that effectively the fire will continue to burn within her. Now the fire, once we receive it, is meant to continue to burn within each and every one of us 24-7. It's not a fire that is meant to sort of dwindle. It's not a fire that is meant to be quenched. It's a fire that is meant to be stirred up day after day. And the the prayer that you, you, Pastor Phil made for Lorraine was very, um, I think for me it was a nice intro because it was like, yeah, it's actually a nice setting for the message today, which is effectively that if we have the fire of Jesus Christ burning in us, engineered by the Holy Spirit day after day, then we feel on top of the world, isn't it? That we feel that nothing can bring us down. We feel that we can go we can face any battle, we can face any challenge, any trials, let it come. We'll be on top of the world. Not because we can, but because the boss can, because Jesus can, and because he said through him, we are more than conqueror. Amen. But the reality is different. Our reality is different because we are battered throughout the week. We face challenges throughout the week. I've come many a times on Sundays knowing, like, Lord, I just need you to speak to me. I just need you to touch me. I just need you to do something. Give me a word, Lord, so that I can actually be re-energized for the following week. Many of us don't feel that victorious every day. So when I ask how many of us are victorious or don't feel victorious, well, I'm pleased to say, Pastor, feel that everybody in King's Church feel or is victorious. Now, it is okay sometimes to say it's not okay. I've learned that very early in my Christian life. It is okay to let the shield or the, how can I say, you know, the perception that everything is fine to be put aside. It's okay because in that case, we can then come and cry out to God. We can come and then ask for prayers. We can come and seek advice. We can come and seek help. And we can do that only when we come naked before the Lord. And God is mindful of us, but the Bible says, Behold, God cannot be deceived. Why? Because he sees deep down into the heart of men. Right? God sees in my heart when I say hallelujah, whether I mean it or whether I don't mean it. When I say, brother, sister, how are you? God knows and sees in my heart whether I mean it or whether I don't mean it. When somebody asks me, is it well? God knows whether I say it is well because I speak out of it or because 
it is well because it's truly well. You know? There is what we call Christianese, which is a very elaborated language these days, that all things is fine. Everything is well. Jesus Christ has gone through challenges, trials, battles, and yet he's not expecting his children not to go through the same, but he's expecting us all to be victors. So the purpose of my message, I mean the title of my message today is called um, Battle, Battle Hardened Victors. It was very good because when I put that message, that title first, um, our job Pastor Phil, who is the chief um, to do all these nice graphics, I had a question mark, and he removed the question mark. And I thought, actually, when he said, is the graph okay? I said, actually, that's perfect. Because it's not a question mark. We shouldn't question if we are victors. We should confess daily that we are victorious in Christ Jesus. But battle hardened, what does he... What does he mean? Battle hardened. I mean, these are normally used for armies, for people who go at war, for people who fight battalions, for people who are experienced people of war. Right? And I feel that as Christians, we are in a war zone. As Christians, we feel every single day that things come against us because of our faith. Is it Tim Farron last week who resigned? as the head of uh, Libdem. Not that I vote for Libdem. Actually, I, I can only vote for France or you know, Macron or so forth. So I wouldn't have voted for Libdem. I wouldn't have voted for Labour. I wouldn't have voted for Conservative because I can't. Simple. But Tim, I think, is Tim Farron, right? He resigned. And something that he said, I thought, oh, wow, this man is glorifying God in his life. He said, it is impossible for me to continue to lead the party if I want to be an effective Christian. That's effectively the reason why he resigned. And he elaborated around everything that Libdem have done since he took over, but he says, like Paul, all things have counted lost, right, for Christ Jesus. And he wants to be a Christian, not a Christian by name, but the, a Christian who effectively can exercise his faith and who is not challenged or called out because of his belief. That doesn't make him feel victorious, is it? He's in the heat of the battle, but then he still chose Jesus. How many of us today, sitting here, feeling victorious, can consistently choose Jesus? We are battle-hardened because, indeed, Paul said that we are hard-pressed on every side. We are accounted for sheep for the slaughter. So the reality of the war is, is there. Is, is not that. I want us to take the example of one of the key um, characters, I mean, key character. I guess every name that the Bible names is important, but certainly there is a lot to be said um, around uh, King David. I'd like us to go today to the first book of Samuel, and um, we will um, just very quickly, if you don't mind, uh, putting around... Um, the King's David highs and lows. I just want to talk about King's David highs and lows. Um, King David is, you know, the Bible recalls that he's a man after God's own heart. This is what the Bible recalls. And 
King David was, first of all, a human being. And I know that it sounds redundant, but let's just look at what it means. It means that he went through his life not to be on top of the world. He went through his life not uh, always facing highs and, and, and things where everything was fine. He, had very ter- he made a lot of mistakes along the way. Um, he had a lot of laws. He had his own son, Absalom, turning against him. Right? He, he did so many things that did not necessarily were not Christian-like, so to speak. But against it, he still has a lot of highs. So he got anointed, if we look at that. He, he was anointed king, First Samuel 16. At the peak of his power, he killed Goliath. He was still a youth, but peak of his power, I mean, in spiritual terms. And then he planned for the temple of, of God to be built up. The same man fled from Saul for a long time. He fled from Saul. Many a times he had the opportunity to kill King Saul. He didn't. He restrained because he recognized that King Saul was the anointed of God. And he every time warned his army against putting their hands against the anointed of God. I want to pause there. Around this place, we are all children of God. We are all the anointed of God. This is the church of Jesus Christ. And I think the same message that David gave around being careful about touching the anointed of God needs to apply today. It's not a Christianity of old. It's a Christianity that is a God, based on the godly principle. We need to be careful. We need to be sensitive about the way we treat our pastors, the way we treat the leaders in the church, but also the way we treat one another because we are all the anointed of God. And God will ask for answer for any single thing that we do. So let's just be mindful that to stir up the unity, to love one another, to comfort, to help, to support, to strengthen, but also to allow godly principle, we need to give regard to this in terms of respecting and honoring the anointed of God. Amen. And he had laws, and um, Ziklag. Ziklag is interesting because Ziklag was never the, the natural home of David, right? Ziklag is actually a place that is quite interesting because David had to become an ally to the Philistines, right? And the Philistine chief, when he asked them with his men, where can we then settle? They say, okay, we go, go there, go to Ziklag. Ziklag is not the natural place where David was meant to stay. But he, he was given that place and then went to settle in there. So he had his home destroyed. That's what we are going to look at today. That's a big challenge. Because not only was he running away from Saul, not only did he come back to find out that his house was burnt, his wife was kidnapped, his children were taken away, he had to react. Today you may find yourself in situations that are probably less dramatic or sometimes even more dramatic. But there are a certain number of things that David did which I want to articulate today to say how do we manage, how do we handle these battles, how do we handle these challenges, these trials, this difficult time in our life where we feel that everything should be given up, you know, where we question where is God, why is God not turning up, why is God allowing things. We need to be mindful that God has always plans for us to give us good and, and not to harm us. He has good thoughts towards us. That's what the Bible tells us. Absalom, his son, rebelled against him and tried to kill him. And then again, he did sin when he did the census of God. So then there are a few things. He got crowned king over Judah. 
he, God had made a special covenant with him. Uh, he had his son Solomon that was born, and then he was restored as king. So many things. Why say his highs and lows? This is really akin to our lives today. We have highs and lows. And if we open the first book of Samuel, chapter 30, let's go through this. Because we want to look at, you know, certain um, reactions that he had, right? So I will read um, from um, the New King James, uh, sorry, the New Living Translation. And I will read um, the first Samuel 30. If you can follow with me, please. Okay, so three days later... When David and his men came home at their town of Ziklag, they found that the Amalekites had made a raid into the Negev and had crushed Ziklag and burned it to the ground. They carried off the women and children and everyone without killing anyone. Please note, without killing anyone. It is very important because it has a lot of... um, Sorry, anything that happens after that is effectively derived from the fact that the Amalekites did not kill anyone. So they raided the village, they raided the place, they took anything that they could do, they burned the place, but they did not kill anyone. Moving on from that, when David, when David and his men saw the ruins and what has happened, to their families, they wept until they could weep no more. They wept until they could weep no more. Again, uh, maybe let's, let's hold that thought here. David, two wife, Ahinoam, and Abigail, the widow of Nabal from Carmel, among those captured. David was now in great danger because all his men were very bitter about losing their sons and daughters, and they began to talk of stoning him. But David found strength in the Lord. Right, so again, bitterness came, and the men began to talk of stoning him. David found strength in the Lord. Then he said to Abiathar the priest, "Bring me the ephod." So Abiathar brought it. Then David asked the Lord, "Shall I chase after this band of raiders? Will I catch them?" And the Lord told him, "Yes, go after them. You will surely recover everything that was taken from you." The recovery process of everything that was taken away. That's the promise of God, even in the midst of that battle, right? So go after them. You will surely recover everything that was taken from you. So David and his 600 men, again, the number is important here. David and his 600 men set out, and they came to Brook Bethel. But 200 of the men were too exhausted to cross the brook. So David continued the pursuit, only with 400 men. Along the way, they found an Egyptian man and brought him to David. They gave him some bread to eat and water to drink. They also gave him part of a fig cake and two clusters of raisins, for he hadn't had anything to eat or drink for three days and nights. Before long, his strength returned. To whom do you belong and where do you come from, David asked. I am an Egyptian, the slave of Amalekite, he replied. My master abandoned me three days ago. I was sick. We were on our way back from the raiding of Keretite in the Negev, the territory of Judah, and the land of Caleb. And we had just burned Ziklag. Aha. So this is a man that put his hand to contribute to burn the town of David. Right? Let's, let's carry on. Will you lead me to this bed of raiders? Now David could have killed him, isn't it? 
but wisdom applies, and he refrains from killing him and says, you lead us. Can you lead me to this band of readers? Because David is looking at the bigger picture. All right? You can look at your situation today and focus on the heat, not focus on the escape route that God is providing through that heat. Sometimes it sounds foolish, but God has put the foolish things to confirm the wise. All right? So let's focus on that again. Will you lead me to this band of radar, David asked. The man, re- the man replied, if you take a note, <laughs> so that's the safety net. <laughs> if you take an oath in God's name that you will not kill me or give me back to my master, then I will get, guide you to them. So he led David to them, and they found the Amalekites spread out across the field, eating and drinking, dancing with joy because of the vast amount of plunder they had taken from the Philistine and the land of Judah. David and his men rushed among them and slaughtered them throughout that night and the entire next day until the evening. None of the Amalekites escaped except 400 young men. Do you recall that David went with 400 people out of the 600, and the people who effectively escaped from the enemy were also 400 young men. So these young men escaped on camels. David got back everything the Amalekites had taken, and he rescued his two wives. Nothing was missing, small or great, son or daughter, nor anything else that had been taken. David brought everything everything back. He also recovered all the flock and herds, and his men drove them ahead of the other livestock. This plunder belongs to David, they said. I will, I will stop there. So, I think there are very important um, items, t- you know, effectively things that we can articulate from, from this uh, scripture. And the first one is, if we look back at... Um, the fact that David is facing a battle. Yes, he's coming back. I will give you a bit of context. David had, you know, was the ally of the Philistines. And effectively, Philistines were about to attack Israel. And some of their commanders became nervous that David would be with them attacking Israel and told uh, one of the commanders, go back and tell him he cannot go with us. We cannot trust him. This guy has killed so many things. He's be, he had so many victories in battles before. Yes, he's been faithful to you, but we cannot take a chance. So take him away. Ask him to stay behind, for we will attack Israel. He should stay behind. And so it was ordered to David to leave the Philistines and to go back to his home. On the way to his home, then he comes and finds out that his home has been sort of burned down. Now you come back from work, long day at work, and you find out that your home is burned down. You look for your children, you look for your spouse, you don't find anything. If you can picture that, you will understand the shock. And what happened is people got distraught. People got distraught. I want to point out that the men of David were battle-hardened men. There are people who have conquered land after land. They've seen victories after victories. They've seen people who were always working as one, who were always facing the battles as one. I want to look at, at that to show that these men knew the art of war. They also knew what it meant to conquer and to win. They also trusted in their leaders. These are the men 
that David trusted and they also trusted in their leader. The point of trust comes into the reaction that they have later down the line. So first of all, they look around, they can't see anything. They can't see anybody, nobody to give account to what has happened, and they start weeping. They start weeping. And the Bible recalls that they wept bitterly. They wept until they could weep no more. Have you had situations in your life where you are weeping because of the situation? You are distraught. You are is hurting, and, and you seem to have no way to overcome. You seem to be completely lost, to be torn inside, not to be sure how to react. What's the next step? What do we do? Where do we stand, dear Lord? We probably have all had this kind of situation, which is effectively we get disabled. We, 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 don't, know, we don't know what to do. This is the reality of the battle. Sometimes events happen at such a fast pace. It is at the time you least expect it, and yet you need to respond. You need to react. You need to show something or to say something or to do something. And sometimes you just can't because it's so hard. It hits you from inside. And these men who are battle-hardened men had no way. The first reaction was to weep, to weep and weep. Now, the Bible is aware, and God is aware of our situation. God is aware of things that we will go through life. But, you know, when even situations like this happen, God says that he's the God of all comfort for these kind of reasons, that he can come and comfort those who are bereaved, that he can come and comfort those who have actually been completely distraught, and he can speak to the heart. He can access these places that are so hard to access because he is God. And God's love is poured time and time and time again in our lives to be the God of comfort. Now, we don't always welcome God with open arms. We don't always respond to his voice. We sometimes shut down the message of comfort from Jesus to actually focus on our situation again and continue to cry. So, as I say, weeping may endure for a night, but joy comes in the morning. Because there will be a morning. Because when you weep, it's okay to say, I'm weeping. Because when you weep, it's okay to be comforted. But they wept until they could cry no more. It means maybe the body has completely <laughs> is not able to produce any tears anymore. Maybe their throat was painful, their eyes were so, you know, full. Whatever happened, but they could not cry anymore. And it's only when they could not cry anymore that they did stop. Do you know that it is difficult to have a vision when you have your eyes filled with tears? And what I mean by that is when we are crying, we focus on the situation. We cannot focus and we cannot see what God is trying to say or where he's trying to lead us because we are full of pain. God wants that time, that specific avenue to come and speak to us. The God of all comfort wants that. So today, if there are any of us who are in this situation, 
I would want to encourage you to open up and not to lock yourself out. To open up to God. To open up to his word. To open up for comfort. Because otherwise, after you have wept and wept and wept, you become bitter. You start questioning why. You start questioning whose fault is it? You start becoming revengeful, looking for blood. And it's exactly what happened with the men of David. These men have been with, their, with David for a long time. They trust him. They know him. He is the anointed of God. They have seen what God has done through this man. Mighty battles won. Saul has tried to kill him. He can never kill him. And yet he's a man that has a lot of integrity. But because they cried so much, because they contained themselves in their pain, because they did not allow God to come through, they then started thinking of killing David. That's what the Bible recalls. That's what exactly the scripture recalls. They started thinking of killing David. Killing their leaders. Do you think David would have been happy? David would have sensed it. He would have sensed the anger. He would have sensed the bitterness. He would have sensed his life was at risk from his friends. You see, um, I am somebody who likes watching movies, and some of the movies I, I like watching is um, 24. Right? 24 Legacy. I, I like the, the last one. I actually need to admit to my wife, I downloaded everything on my iPhone, <laughs> watched almost all the series every day before we started watching it at home. I couldn't stop. It was addictive. <laughs> I need to repent, probably. Um, but one of the scripts in that um, 24 legacy, so um, the guy who was working for CTU, then uh, they were going to one operation, and he did say something to the CTU agents and say, you cannot kill this man we are going to go after. And he said, why? He said, because we served in the same army. And for me, it makes it a brother. We served in the same army. We are on different sides of the fence. But for me, it makes him a brother. So you don't touch him. Otherwise, well, he threatened him. Right? Um, we are in the army of God, brothers and sisters. We are in the army of God. Are we at war? Yes, we are at war. Because the Bible recalls that we have an enemy. We have an enemy and the enemy is well known. We don't have enemies. We have an enemy who is like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. He's not seeking whom he may devour once in a while. He's constant. You know, when a lion is ready to attack, he prowls around, he checks the weakness, he sees, and he does like if there is any apathy in him until he starts torturing his prey. But the enemy does it 24-7. No respite. We are the ones giving respite in our prayer life, in our prayer time, in our communication with God, in our, you know, reading the word of God. But the enemy does not give any, any respite, right? But the enemy is there. So we don't need to go too far, but we need to understand that this enemy is there. Now, I took this scripture, uh, this um, saying, it's not a scripture, Napoleon was a French, uh, general who has won many, many battles, many victories. He was one of the most astute commanders. And in terms of 
most of the military school, um, West Point in America, and throughout the world, they are still using some of his principles of war to go to battle. And he did say something. He said, we should always go before our enemies with confidence. Otherwise, our apparent uneasiness inspires them with greater boldness. Right? And the reality is that if I'm asking you today to go in front of the enemy of your soul with boldness, to be able to go with confidence before Satan, you will say, mm, wait a minute, what are you talking about? But that's exactly what God is asking us to do. He says that the enemy is under our feet because the enemy has been defeated. He says that in him we are more than conqueror, we are victorious. That's what the Bible is telling us. As Christians, yes, we have that enemy, but we cannot go with timidity. We cannot go unaware of his devices and his schemes. We cannot go unprepared. Now, just coming back to David... David did not look at these soldiers like his enemies. He looked at, him, at them like his brothers, people he wanted to stand with, people who had stood with him for a long time. But here comes the time they completely changed and threatened to kill his life. Actually, by stoning him. That was actually something they used to do for the thieves, something they used to do for people of low regards, by stoning their uh, leader. But David did something that was amazing. So if we can go back to the scripture. I believe it's verse 6 or 7. So what did David do? Then David asked the Lord. So you sense all that danger around you. You see you have wept for all night, maybe two days, three days. You sense now people are coming for you. They're coming for your life. I think the first thing is probably to run. I will probably do that instinctively. I will try and run. For my life, I don't run too fast anyway. Even my son runs faster than me, but <laughs> I'll try and run. David does not run. He sends death hovering. But then he does seek the Lord. He goes straight to God. He goes straight to God. That's one of the most difficult things to do when you have pressure. When you see death is coming... And you still say, I will seek my God. I will try and hear what God has to say. I will not run away. A truck is coming to hit you and you say, I will seek my... This is courage. And this is also wisdom. It's understanding of who our God is. It's understanding that there's nothing that can happen to us. What can happen to us if the Lord has not said so? Is understanding that he is the one who rules in the heavens. He is the one who can send his angels at any time to take charge over us. He is the one who has his eye upon us. David asked the Lord, should I chase after this band of raiders? Will I catch them? So he's actually asking straight into the solution. It's not just, Lord, where are they? Should I? Lord, speak to me. Should I? And it, it, it implies action. Do you know that when you are hurt, when you are defeated, when you are under trials, challenges, the last thing you want to do is to do anything? You don't want any actions. You, you tend to be self, is, is self-pity, is effectively, well, this is a situation, I don't know what I will do, uh, let me think about it. Um, and then you think and think and think without any solution. But David is like, I will seek my God, and he says, should I chase? 
What is the action I need to take right now, Lord? Tell me. He doesn't look at the danger. He's not looking at these guys are battle-hardened men. They are people who have destroyed many towns and cities. He's not looking at the danger for his own life. He's only looking at what God will do for him. And it's the same look that he had when he, asked, when he decided to challenge Goliath. Yes, he's evolved through life, but the same boldness that he takes in terms of, should I chase them, is because he knows that the Lord is with him. And if the Lord is with him, then he's victorious. When the Lord is with us, then we are victorious. Now, the Lord is always with us, sure. But if the battle that we fight is our own battle and not the battle of the Lord, is a different outcome. If the battle that we fight is for our own benefit, our own purpose, our selfish ambition, it is not the battle of God. At that point, David is also remembered already as a man who is after God's own heart. He's a man who is after God's own heart because he presses on no matter what, he listens and he obeys. Those who know their God will carry out great exploits. Will I catch them? And the Lord told him, yes. Ha-ha. So those would say that the Lord say the Lord does not answer. Those would think that they pray and they need to tweak maybe the way they pray for God to answer. Those would think that when they pray today, it's only at the end of the month that the Lord will answer. The Lord is also a God who answers immediately. He answered yes. It's not blurred message. And why it's not blurred is because David's ears were fine-tuned to the voice of his master. My ears are not always fine-tuned to the, the voice of God. I'm not always consistently seeking my God, but David was. And that's what God wants us to do, to fine-tune, to be able to hear with clarity. Those, my children know my voice. My sheep know my voice. They know, they hear, they know, they recognize. But then, acting upon it. God said, yes, go after them. He didn't say, actually, hold on, I will need to give you another 500 soldiers. Um, they are 10,000 or whatever. He said clearly, the people you have, the resources that you have, the situation in which you find yourself, even with people who are already demotivated, even with people who are already against you, go after them. Do you understand what God is saying? Do you understand the context in which God is telling David, go after them? With the same people who are defeated, you will recover everything that was taken from you. That's the promise. Everything that the enemy had taken, you will recover. Now again, sorry to flipping back to Napoleon, but I was reading again about Napoleon. People say that as well as a big strategist that he was, he could fight and win battles with a number of men behind him that was significantly less than the other armies. And he said that the way he used to do it was to motivate his um, warriors way before the battle starts. So his warriors were always on top of things and had always that confidence they could win any war. He also had a reward system. On the spoil he was getting, he was distributing evenly. And anybody in his army could start from a, a, a small um, you know, soldier to a big commander. He was giving opportunities to all. There are people in this place today who don't feel they have the opportunity to serve God. There are people who don't feel they have the opportunity to let their faith talk. There are people who feel that they don't have this one and therefore they become bitter. But God says, look, I've given to you the same gift 
I've given to you the same opportunities. What do you want to do with it? In battle, we are all equipped to win the battle. Whether we win it or not depends on us, on our response to the instructions of God. David set out with the 600 men with the promise that he will recover everything already. So for him, it's just a matter of to when as opposed to if. He goes there with 600 men. And a third of his army is tired. They've been worn out. I'm not suggesting that these are 200 people who felt the most keen to kill him. The Bible is not saying so. But he loses a third of his army. Sorry, do you not believe that is enough to discourage you again? The battle is rife. And the Bible says the battle is not for the faint hearted. David needs to go. So 600 men set out. 200 men were exhausted. How many of us are exhausted today? How many of us are exhausted to hear the same message? God can, God will, God is mindful of you, God loves you. How many of us? I mean, it's, it's okay to say we are exhausted because we are not here for a show. We are here to be truthful. We are here to be children with hurt and pain. When my, my son goes and hits himself against the door, he comes back crying. He's not pretending that all is fine. When he's been naughty, then he looks at me first of all before crying because the pain kicks in. Some of us, the pain is kicking in, right? It's hard. But then we are like, it's all fine. When you have people who can pray for us, people who can give us godly advice, people who can seek the face of God for us and lift us up. Alone, they found the Egyptian. So what I'm trying to say to you, by them finding the Egyptian, they could have delayed their trip. David could have said, 400 men, Lord, is not enough, Lord, please tell me. I need 500, I need 1,000, Lord, tell me. Speak in tongue, do everything you need to have more men. And he could have procrastinated. He had to go. And because he went, then God had already prepared somebody to show him the direction. So the Egyptian ended up giving him the direction. 13 is very interesting because... They didn't know that man. They see somebody with almost, they could have, I mean, David was after his family. They could have seen, oh, the man is dying, oh, let's carry on. They, they were battle-hardened. The difference between being battle-hardened and not is the fact that when you are battle-hardened, you can become sometimes insensitive. You can look at things and say, well, he's one of them, let, let him die. After all, they've done X, they've done Z, and we become insensitive. God is asking us to be having compassion. He's asking us to always extend the hand. He said that when we've been slapped on one cheek, we should turn the other one. But he's also saying that we should look at all things into the perfect law of liberty. The perfect law of liberty speaks about love. It speaks about compassion. It speaks about awareness. It speaks about sensitivity. It speaks about looking at people not as trees but as men. It speaks about people having real needs where we can always make a difference. Even when we are hurt. Even when we are in battle. Even when our shoes are tight, the Spirit of God is mindful of that, but still asking us to extend ourselves. Then he looks at this man and rescues him, and because he does that, he still also wants, out of wisdom, to know where he is. 13, whom do you belong to? And the enemy will ask you that every time. Are you a Christian? Do you belong to Jesus? In the midst of that heat, do you belong to Jesus? Can you stand for Jesus? 
who do you belong to? Where do you come from? I come from the heavenly realm. I mean, that's where Brother Young, where the police, he, he did mention when the police was asking him, who are you, the heavenly man? Where do you come from, from heaven? Who do you belong? And you start saying, okay, I'm, I'm from Camborne, or I'm, <laughs> I, I, come, I come from East Anglia, or whatever. That's not going to help you much. Um, we are the children of God. We are the anointed of the mighty one. We have a purpose and an agenda that is given by heaven. That is already signed up. And we are the enabler of the kingdom growth on earth. That's who we are. He was a slave, and he didn't want to go back to, to slavery, that Amalekite. The master abandoned him. So for him, who are you? And then he starts complaining, my master left me. So already he was resentful as well. And then David said, okay, fine. Will you go with first choice? So after the man promised to lead him, I think I want us to, to stop where he came around verse 16. So the man led David to um, the Amalekite, and they found the Amalekite spread out who were celebrating. You know, sometimes when the enemy takes something out of you, he's actually showing it to you that he's really taking it out of you, right? It's more like a snare, you know. Just making fun, oh, today you are not feeling so good, isn't it? You are professing your faith, and here you are. You are actually pulled back, pushed back. The enemy is continuously putting trouble after trouble in our lives so that he can kill that faith. What did he do for Job? He started with the girls and the families and the children and everything at once. So when you think that you have a trouble, the next one that comes is not even a respite. It's even worse. Sometimes you think I haven't got any money. That's when you see actually maybe a letter from, uh, you know, the bailiff saying, okay, we are coming on Monday. Yes. These are real situations people are living. Um, and, and the enemy knows that. Today when you say you've decided to forgive someone, that's when the person does even something worse than the first. And you're like, hold on. Have you, you know? And when you say today I've made my prayer and Lord... I'm on top of the world, and I will do that, and I will conduct myself well, and I will exhibit the flavor of Christianity, the flavor of love. That's when you feel suppressed even more because people insult you, because people demean you. Do you know Abigail? I just want to touch on Abigail, who became the wife of David. Uh, She was initially the wife of um, Nabal, and Nabal used to be a man extremely wealthy. And Nabal was proud. He was a very proud man. When the men of David came from that battle, exhausted and tired and asked for food, he had the opportunity to help them out. But he taunted them. He laughed at them. And he categorized them as mere thieves. Go away. So David decided to go and kill him. But when the word came to Abigail that that's the way your husband treated David, actually his life is now on a leash, on a tight leash, she didn't have the time to say, the chance to say, oh, sorry, let me think about that. The Bible says quickly she mustered something. She ordered the servant around. She put some food for David, and she went ahead. There was no authorization or sign of letter from her husband to do that. She had to go, and she did it to preserve the life of her husband. That's what sometimes the battle pushes you to do. Prompt reaction. Prompt reaction. You don't have the time to think. And that's when the enemy knows that he will probably make you to take the wrong turn, make the wrong decision. But in God, we will not make the wrong decision. Amen. 
So they, they took everything, they took all the plunder, they slaughtered all the men and took all the plunder. Verse 18, David got back everything the Amalekite had taken and he rescued his two wives. Nothing was missing. Nothing was missing is actually crystallizing the promises of God when he told David, yes, you can go and you will recover everything. The word of God is true. My brothers and sisters, it is true. Whatever God has spoken will always be. We just need to respond to this and respond with confidence that he who has promised is faithful because that's the God that we do serve. Now, I just want us to go through Ephesians. Ephesians 6, 10, the message version. Verse 10 to 12 and that, was, that about wraps it up. God is strong. So the God who goes in battle or the God who ordains the battle or the God who supports you in the battle is a God who is strong. Is a God who is the God of heavenly armies. Is the God who is the chief general. He said God is strong and he wants you to be strong. God is strong and wants you strong. Why I want to bring this to your attention today is that God knows and sees. God is mindful and God cares. God can never be surprised by anything that happened to you in your life. He's not surprised by the events that happen. In fact, some of these things, the enemy has to come and take authorization before it happens to you. But God wants us strong. And we cannot be strong Christian if we do not understand that we need to strengthen our faith, we need to build up our faith, we need to evidence day after day that we seek after God. Because that's the only way that we can become strong. If you see, for the parents, I think there was a, a picture, um, a video taken by the, the mothers and their children, where the children are saying happy birthday, and the mother was saying happy, uh, happy Father's Day. These children, when the child comes and is very young and does not get the food that is given to them, they cannot become strong. They cannot become strong if they do not eat any food given to them. God is giving us always food that is a spiritual food to feed upon. And he knows that this will engineer within us that strength and ability to face battle. He wants us strong. God does not want weak Christians. Because if we are weak, then the enemy will take advantage. God wants us strong. And today, if you leave here, I want you to remember that God wants us strong. He said, and so take everything the master has set out for you, well-made weapons, of the best material. So he's already equipped us. He wants us strong, but he's given us, and he's giving us always the best material. And he said, put them to use. It's effectively about the whole armor of God, but then the, the version is very good in the sense he's breaking it. And he said, put them to use. So many of us have weapons of mass destruction against the enemy just next to us, but we are not making use of it. Some of us really understand what it makes to stand up for God. But then we stand up without the, without the weapons that we need to have, the godly weapons. He say, put them to use. The question today is, do we do that? Put them to use so you will be able to stand up to everything the devil throws your way. 
everything. The devil throws it away. It's not something. It's not a few of the things. It's everything. And we are equipped. And today we need to realize we are equipped. We need to realize that God cares. We need to realize that God has given us everything that pertains to this life, to godliness, but also everything to battle, to be the soldiers that he wants us to do. Because if we are weak soldiers, if we are without purpose, if we do not understand our general, when the battle is rife, we will start blaming the general. We will start looking for reasons not to follow him. And the church of Jesus cannot afford this today. We need to be all together, united, but also strong. Strong individuals in, in themselves, strong people who understand who their God is, once they come together, they are even strengthened to a level that God can continue to do greater things. You see, this is no afternoon athletic contest. <laughs> I like the way he puts it. That we will walk away from and forget about in a couple of hours. This is for keeps. Or a life or death fight to finish against the devil and all his angels. It's not an afternoon race. It's not sipping tea or having ice cream or having that in a coffee shop. This is for keeps that God is equipping us to be a victorious army. And we can only be a victorious army if we understand what God has given us. Right, I want to finish with Second um, Chronicles 20.17. You know, at times we don't even need to fight. Second Chronicles 20.17 says, You will not have to fight this battle. Take up your position. You will not have to fight this battle. Take up your position. Stand firm and see the deliverance the Lord will give you, Judah and Jerusalem. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. Go out to face them tomorrow and the Lord will be with you. Your challenges, your battles, your situations, do not give up. Take up your position, stand firm, and let God fight that battle for you. And God will bless us. Amen. So today we just want to to close and again I will just invite you to reflect on this message um, to think about where you are to think about how God is speaking to you through this word and to really commit everything before him many a times I feel during the week it's so tough and I come on Sunday to have a hug on Sunday because I need a word and many of us do that but God says the battle is not for the faint hearted and the battle is not for the weak. The battle is his, but we are still in that battle. So let's just take up that all armor, not for an afternoon only. Let's take it up with all the weapons that God has given us, and let's run the race that is set before us. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening, and we trust that the Word of God has inspired you today. For further information about King's Church or to access our large archive of other recordings, go to www.kingscambridge.org. If you're listening on iTunes, we would love you to leave us some feedback. God bless and goodbye.